We have an anchor that keeps the soul steady. The Anchor of the Soul with Mike Hickson, preacher for the Olive Branch Church of Christ in Olive Branch, Mississippi. Grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love. And now, Mike Hickson. The title of our lesson today, What's Right with the Church of Christ? A lot of times we hear people talk about what's wrong with the church. And I would freely grant that there is a divine side to the church and there is a human side to the church. The divine side of the church is perfect. It is flawless. The human side of the church, however, is imperfect. So on the one hand, when we talk about the divine side of the church, no changes are needed. Now, when it comes to the human side, obviously there are always, there's always room for improvement. I think about, for example, when the Apostle Paul wrote to the churches of Galatia. They were being threatened by Judaizing teachers. And so they had to withstand them and stand firm in their faith. In Revelation chapters 2 and 3, the Lord Jesus surveyed the, the seven churches of Asia Minor. There were doctrinal problems. There were moral problems. There were heart problems. And so from the vantage point of the church, the imperfect side, changes needed to take place. But there are some things that don't need to, to take place with regard to change. There are some things that need no changing. So when we talk about the church and the church of Christ, let me just ask this question. What's right with the church of Christ? Because I know that there are a lot of folks, as I said a moment ago, that have talked about there are things that from their vantage point, from their perception, are wrong. Maybe need changing. What I want to do is focus on what's right with the church. I want to begin by saying the church of Christ is right in origination. The church of Christ is right when it comes to her originator, her creator. The one who created the church was not man, but rather it was God, wasn't it? And so when we talk about the church and the fact that there are some things that are right about the church. First and foremost, what is right about the church of Christ is her origination. I want to begin by talking about for a moment or two, the church was planned by God, by the Lord. What we'll see is the Lord is the one who founded the church not only did He found the church, but He is the foundation of the church. In other words, everything rests upon Him. Now, as I said a moment ago, the Lord planned the church. Look at Ephesians chapter 3, verses 9-11. through 11. In Ephesians 3, 9-11, listen to what Paul said with regard to the church. And to make all people see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ, 
to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places according to the eternal purpose which He accomplished or purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. What Paul is saying there is simply this. The church is a product of God. God is the one that planned it. It originated by God. It is not of human invention or human origination. In Colossians chapter 1, in verse 18, Paul said, speaking of Christ, He is the head of the body, which is the beginning. The word beginning in Colossians 1.18 means active source or active cause. The source from which something arose. So Paul in that setting is simply saying that the church, the source of the church was the Lord. Now I said, it a moment, I said a moment ago that the Lord is the one who planned the church. That He is the one who founded the church of Christ. Now in Matthew chapter 16, you remember Jesus had made His way into the region known as Caesarea Philippi, which would have been north of the city of Jerusalem. When He came into that region, He wanted to know who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Their response was, some say you're John the Baptist. Some are saying you're Elijah. Others are saying that you're John the Baptist or one of the prophets. Jesus then asked, but whom do you say that I am? And Peter, his own record, is saying you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus then said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood is not revealed it unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. And then in verse 18, Jesus said, And I also say unto you that you're Peter. And upon this rock I will build my church. Peter had just affirmed that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God. And so, based upon that good confession, Jesus then said, all right, Peter, I'm going to build my church. So the Lord Jesus Christ, according to what He said, is the one who would build or found the church of Christ. I am well aware that there are a lot of folks in our world today that will trace what they believe to be the development of the church of Christ to Thomas and Alexander Campbell. Alexander Campbell was not born until about 1788. He did not make his way into America until 1809. His father preceded him to America in 1807. Alexander Campbell was not baptized into Christ until about 1812. So when we, when we talk about Alexander Campbell as the founder of the Church of Christ, we know that can't be true. Because Jesus promised 2,000 years earlier that He would build the church, didn't He? So the question is, did the Lord Jesus Christ build the church? Well, the answer would be yes, wouldn't it? Now we talk about Jesus being 
the founder of the church. The church of Christ did not originate with any one individual. It is not the product of man. It's not the product of Thomas or Alexander Campbell or any other person. But rather, it is attributed to the work of Jesus. And so, with regard to the Lord being the founder of the church, it is also affirmed that He is the foundation of the church. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, in verse 11, Paul said, For other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Paul here affirming the fact for people of every, of every generation, the church rests upon the foundation of Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, Paul would say in Ephesians 2.20, that not only is Jesus the foundation of the church, but He is the chief cornerstone of the church. In other words, everything rests upon Him, doesn't it? So the Lord is the one who planned the church. He founded it. It rests upon His foundation. Not only did the Lord plan the church, but the Bible tells us He purchased the church. Now, Jesus promised in Matthew 16, 18, that He would build the church. And I would encourage you to look at verse 18 again. When Jesus said, I will build my church, that is singular in nature. Jesus said, I will build my church, not churches. Furthermore, it is possessive in nature. He said, I'll build my church. It doesn't belong to me or to any other individual. It's not my church, your church, or anyone's church. It is the Lord's church. It belongs to Him exclusively. Now, I said He purchased the church. In Acts chapter 20, in verse 28, Paul, of course, is talking to the elders of the church from Ephesus. He is in Miletus. He has called for them. They've come to Him. He has, re he has rehearsed His work among them. In verse 28, he said, Take heed to yourselves and to all the flock, which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to feed the church of God. Listen to what he said. Which he purchased with his own blood. So when we talk about the church, we need to understand it is the blood-bought body of Jesus. It cost him his life, didn't it? Think about the passage that was read a moment ago. Paul said, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself for it. The Lord Jesus Christ purchased the church. With what? With His blood. The church exists because God planned it. God purposed it. It exists because God's Son purchased it. So not only did the Lord not only did He buy the church, but the Bible tells us it belongs to Him, doesn't it? I said a moment ago, the church isn't my church, it's not your church, it's not anyone's church. It is the Lord's church. Now think about this for a minute. If you were to go to a department store today and buy something, pay cash for it, it would belong to you, wouldn't it? If you were to pay cash for your home, the home you live in, it would belong to you. 
You wouldn't appreciate somebody coming into your home and saying to you, okay, I think we'll paint this wall and it's all right with you, we'll knock this wall down and we'll move the sofa here and move this table over here. No, you'd say, hey, look, you can't do it. Why? Because that's my house. We're talking about my house. So the church was bought by the Lord. Because it was bought by Him, it belongs to Him. Now, why is that so important? Because if it belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ, then that would suggest He has the right to determine the behavior of the church, doesn't He? Now, if you remember back in Exodus chapter 13, God, of course, in chapter 12 had instituted the Passover. The children of Israel had been in Egyptian bondage for some 400 years. God called upon a man by the name of Moses to lead them out of bondage. And so in chapter 13, God said to Moses, here's what I want you to do. I want you to sanctify to me all the firstborn. He said, whatever opens the womb, whether man or beast, listen to what he said, it is mine. God laying claim to the firstborn. God saying to Moses, to the children of Israel, the firstborn belongs to me. Now, having said that, look if you would in your Bible at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 23. How many of you brought a Bible today? Did you bring a Bible? Good. Because I want you to see what the Bible has to say. I don't want you to take my word for what we're talking about, but rather I want you to look at what the Scripture has to say. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 23, the writer said, To the general assembly and church of the firstborn. What does he mean when he talks about the church of the firstborn? Now, back in Exodus chapter 13, God said, I want you to sanctify, to set apart the firstborn. Why? Because it's mine. It belongs to me. So when the Hebrew writer talks about the church is comprised of the firstborn, what is he saying? He's saying, the church belongs to me. It's mine. Now, what did Jesus say? Matthew 16, verse 18. Upon this rock I will build my church. The Lord's church belongs to whom? It belongs to the Lord, doesn't it? And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, Paul said, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, which is in you, which you have from God? He said, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and spirit, listen to him, which are God's. So when we talk about the church of Christ, and I want to just say very quickly, when we're talking about what is right with the church of Christ, I said the church of Christ is right because of her origination. Please do not misunderstand. I am not saying the church of Christ is a denomination. The church of Christ, the church that I'm talking about, is pre-denominational. It is non-denominational. It has no denominational ties. The church that we're talking about existed in the mind of God from time eternal. The church that we read about in Scripture was founded hundreds of years before what we call today modern denominationalism. 
The church of Christ is different in that respect. I am not saying we are a better denomination than other churches. I am saying the church of Christ is right because of her origination, because of who originated her. She was not founded by a man. She was not brought into existence by any individual. But rather the church that we're talking about existed in the mind of God. It was bought by the Lord Jesus Christ and it belongs to Him. We have to see that because that's what the Bible teaches. Now, we talk about the church of Christ being right. When I use the term church of Christ, I'm talking about the church that belongs to Christ. I said a moment ago, Jesus bought it, therefore it belongs to Him. Just like if you bought your house, it belongs to you. The word Christian, the suffix on Christian, I-A-N, literally means belonging to. So in Acts chapter 11, verse 26, when Luke said the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. To use that designation of a Christian simply means that those who are in Christ Jesus, they belong to whom? They belong to Christ. So when we talk about the church, if somebody says, I'm a member of the church of Christ, what we're saying is, I'm a member of the church that belongs to Christ. Now, if I founded the church, it would belong to whom? It belonged to me. But I didn't found the church. I wasn't the builder of the church but rather the church that we're talking about was built by the Lord Jesus Christ. It was bought by His blood, and it belongs to Him. I hope and pray you can see that, biblically speaking. There's a second thing I want you to think about. The church of Christ is right in her authorization. When we talk about the church of Jesus Christ, I said a moment ago, it was bought by the Lord Jesus Christ, it was built by the Lord Jesus Christ, and it belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. So if it belongs to Him, would that not suggest that He has the right to govern the body that He calls His own? Would that not stand to reason? If you own a business, and let's just say that you're the one that built the business, and you have built it with blood, sweat, and tears, do you not have the right to call the shots in your business? Sure you do. Why? Because it belongs to you. So when we talk about the church, that which governs the church, it's not a creed book. It's not some type of manual of faith or some catechism. But rather, it is the, it is the authoritative words of Jesus Christ. Now, listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 28, verse 18. The Lord Jesus is about to ascend to heaven, and He said, All authority, all power has been given unto me in heaven and on earth. Jesus there saying that God had given Him authority or power. Where? In heaven and on earth. Do you remember during the earthly ministry of Jesus when He was on the mountain, and Peter, James, and John were with him. Moses and Elijah appeared on that, on, that, on that mountain. 
And the Bible tells us a voice came forth from heaven. That voice was the voice of God. And God said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And then He said, Hear Him. So, God the Father was simply saying that in this dispensation, the Christian age, we are to listen to whom? To Jesus Christ. Why? Because He has all authority. And by the way, in John chapter 5, Jesus said, The Father has committed unto the Son authority to execute judgment. The Lord Jesus will one day judge the human family on the basis of what? On the basis of His Word. This Word is what governs the church today. Now, there are a lot of folks that would say, well, you know what we need to do is sit down and compose some type of manual or creed outlining what we believe and what we practice. Well, just think about that for a minute. Let's just say that I said, all right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to write out a creed. We're going to write out what we believe and what we practice. If I were to write out something less than what the Bible says, would that be biblical? On the other hand, if I were to add to what the Bible says, would that be biblical? Well, of course not. Well, if I said, all right, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to write down exactly what the Bible says. Well, why would I do that? Why not just go by what's already written? Just go by the Bible. Now, when you look at the teaching of Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul said he taught the same thing in every city or in every church. Did Paul know something about the authoritative words of Jesus Christ? Did the early church, did they know something about the authority of the Lord? Yes, they did. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42, the Bible says they continued steadfastly, listen to what he said, in the apostles' doctrine, that is the teaching of the apostles. Now you remember in John chapters 14 through 16, Jesus was talking to the apostles. He promised them the Comforter, the Holy Spirit who would teach them all things and bring all things to their remembrance. In chapter 16, verse 13, Jesus said, When the Holy Spirit has come, He will guide you, listen to Him, into all truth. So we're talking about the apostles' doctrine. Well, with regard to the apostles' doctrine, where did that originate? It didn't originate with them, did it? It originated with Almighty God because Jesus said the Holy Spirit is the one who would guide them into all truth. When Paul wrote to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 37, he said, The things that I write to you are the commandments of the Lord. So when we talk about as a congregation of God's people, when we say, well, we don't have, we don't have a creed, we're not following some manual of faith or catechism, we're just trying to follow the Bible. Is there anything wrong with that? No. Didn't Peter say, if any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God? Didn't Paul say in 2 Timothy chapter 1, hold fast to the form or pattern of sound words? In other words, stay true to the teaching of Almighty God. Now you think about the church today. And here's the modern day dilemma in the minds of a lot of folks. The church is on earth. We're on earth. 
The Lord Jesus is in heaven. So if He's in heaven and we're on earth, then surely we need something that will govern us on how to live and how to act and how to practice. Well, what do we have? We have His will. It's called the last will and testament of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews 9, 15 through 17. If you want to control your estate following your death, what do you do? You write a will, don't you? You write a will. At your death, that will is probated and then executed. The Lord Jesus Christ died on Calvary. That will was probated 50 days later. That will validated the last will and testament of the Lord Jesus Christ. Today we're under what? The law of Christ. It is called the perfect law of liberty. So when we talk about the church of Christ, we're asking the question, or really we're saying today, what's right with the church of Christ? There are a lot of folks that want to say, okay, you know what? We need to change. And we need to do this, and we need to do that. And they want to hurl stones at the church. Sometimes it's refreshing to say, okay, what's right with the church of Christ? What's right is her origination. What's right is her authorization. In other words, we're striving to the best of our ability to be submissive to the authoritative words of Jesus. Are we saying we're perfect? Absolutely not. Because we're human beings, we comprise that imperfect side of the church, don't we? Our time is gone. I want to pick up with this tonight. I hope you'll come back tonight. Tonight we're going to talk about the church of Christ is right in salvation. In closing today, I want to tell you what you need to do to become a child of God. I want you to turn with me to Acts chapter 2. I read a moment ago from Matthew chapter 16 where Jesus promised to build the church. And you remember in verse 19, Jesus said to Peter and the apostles, I will give unto you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Keys signifying authority. So if we want to know what to do to become a Christian, don't you think it would stand to reason that we would want to go back and read what they did in the first century to become a child of God? That we would want to know what the apostles who were given the keys to the kingdom of heaven what they were instructed and what they in turn conveyed to those on Pentecost Day. Peter preaches this great sermon, talks about the death of Jesus, His resurrection. In verse 36, Peter said, Let all the house of Israel know assuredly that this same Jesus whom you crucified, that God has made Him both Lord and Christ. When they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Now listen to verse 38. Now we're talking about what's right with the church of Christ. Listen to what Peter said. Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Now is that about right? Or is it right? That's right. When we teach people to repent and be baptized into Jesus Christ, we're not saying this is Church of Christ doctrine. What we're saying is this is biblical. This is what the Bible teaches. So 
If somebody says something other than what Peter said, then my question to them, who gave you the authority to tell somebody to do something other than what an inspired apostle said to do on Pentecost Day? You don't have that kind of authority. There is not a man or woman living today who has the authority to change the terms of admission into the kingdom of God. If people want to be a member of the church we read about in the Bible, what do they need to do? Exactly what Peter said and what Peter said to do. Repent, be baptized. Why? For the remission, for the forgiveness of your sins. And listen to how easy it is. The Bible says in verse 41, those who gladly received the word were baptized. Look at verse 47. The Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Do you see how easy that is? We're not adding to, we're not taking from, we're simply saying this is what the Bible teaches. Let me tell you what, in a day and time when there are so many different creeds and so many different churches and so many different beliefs, isn't it refreshing to just go back and turn to what the Bible says and say, you know what, this is what Scripture teaches. Isn't that refreshing? I don't have to guess, I don't have to wonder, I don't have to, it's not a think so, maybe so, hope so. Look, this is thus saith the Lord. Not what I say, it's what the Lord says. Thank you for listening to the Anchor of the Soul. Your speaker has been Mike Hickson, preacher for the Olive Branch Church of Christ, located at 9100 East Sandage Road in Olive Branch, Mississippi. To hear this lesson again, go to olivebranchchurchofchrist.org. Tune in next Sunday for more of the Anchor of the Soul. We have an anchor that keeps the soul Steadfast and sure while the billows roll Fastened to the rock which cannot move Grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love